You may be seated. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Matthew. The song we just sang, number 57 in the Trinity hymnal, Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. Psalm 146. There's a certain, those psalms there toward the end of the 150 psalms start out with the words, Praise ye the Lord. In Hebrew, that is Hallelujah. 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 Jehovah. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. So, though you look at Psalm 146 and you can't find the word Hallelujah, and we just sang the word Hallelujah from Psalm 146, it is intended by the words, Praise ye the Lord. And the Lord being Jehovah. David often referred to himself as the son of thine handmaid. Matthew, your mother made a special prayer for you before you were born and for you as a young child. And his handmaid, your mother, is sitting a few rows in front of you. And I'm glad that we were able to sing a song that you wrote and she was able to sing it along with us and joy in what the Lord gave her through you. And I enjoyed telling her at break time of how hard you work to get our website to the whole world. Matthew is creating a legacy, and Mark, and others, for all of you, and for us, together, of the truth to many. David's humility was to often speak of himself to the Lord as the son of thine handmaid. That's just, you know, he also told Saul, I am the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Right. Didn't even remind Saul of who he was or what his name was, showing his humility and graciousness. We're looking at David. I showed you his heart very briefly. If you want more about his heart, it's on our website. The Heart of David is the sermon series from 13 years ago. I showed you, number two, the zeal for God's house, his zeal for God's worship, his zeal for congregational worship, his extraordinary love of God and delight in him, what you can do in retirement years like he did, his mercy toward his enemies. Now let's look at how he related to civil rulers and then some others. Number eight is civil rulers. How did David show us what the Lord Jesus Christ taught? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And what Paul taught us, Romans 13, and Peter taught us, 1 Peter chapter 2. Did David show that? You have never come close to living under a government as corrupt as Saul's rule. The foundation of the earth was out of joint. The pillars of the earth were not upholding righteousness and justice like they should. And some of the Psalms refer to that fact. Our government doesn't treat us anything like David's government treated him. David's government chased him all over the place so that he had to live among the Philistines. He had to live in the woods. He had to live in caves. You have never had a civil ruler personally out to get you in any way possible. You have never had a civil ruler authorize the killing of God's priest by Doeg the Edomite. You have never been ordained by God to replace a ruler that hated and troubled you. Will you please just think with me for a moment about the attitude David could have had towards Saul and that government? David had been anointed since around the age of 15 or so to replace that king. And he knew that. But it never affected his service to that king. Yet, when David had two opportunities and more to kill Saul, he did not touch him. He did not touch him. Yes, he took his canteen. He cut a little bit off a garment one time just to let him and Joe, him and Abner know how close he had gotten to them. Right. To let them know that he was standing there and could have taken his life. Right. There's two whole chapters in the Bible about these things. 1 Samuel 26 and 1 Samuel 28. David had two opportunities. Saul right there. David hiding in the, the wall of a cave. And Saul is in that cave, occupied. He could have taken his life. Saul sound asleep and David standing beside him. 
and his nephew saying, I'll only strike once. I won't need to strike a second time. I'll take this man out of our lives. We will not touch the Lord's anointed. Do you know what kind of peer pressure that was on him to give in to hatred toward a king? But he wouldn't do it. We can be like David. And so we respect our government. And we read about things from our government that are not very respectful. But we can respect our government anyway. We've done it for the last eight years. We can do it for the next four. And we'll do it after that no matter who God puts there. What we have there right now is not as profane as King Saul was in chasing David around trying to kill him. No one's trying to kill you right now. So let's, we can be like David. I do not want you to think of these, these things about David, these traits, the character traits of David, as something unobtainable or something just about him, an academic little lesson I'm giving you. We can do this. When you think about David, this should pop up as one of the chief indicators of his heart. That if God made Saul king, I am not going to touch the Lord's anointed. If God made President Donald Trump our president, we are not going to speak against him. Or his predecessor, we're not going to speak against him. We can be like David. Once upon a time, when Saul was killed in the battlefield, an Amalekite came to David with a wonderful story. I found Saul wounded in the battlefield, and I killed him, and I've brought some of his equipment to you. He was looking for a big promotion. He got promoted to the afterlife by David. That's the David of the Bible. Can we be like that when someone's mouthing off against our government that we will stop them and tell them that that's God's appointed servant It's a minister of God to us for good that's over us right now, and you're enjoying a lot of good at their hands. Let's be respectful. We can do it. We can be like David. That was number eight. Number nine, what effect do you have on other people? Let's go back to Psalm 34 that we looked at once. I know it's a favorite passage of some of you. I know of one sister in here that told me a long time ago that these verses were some of her favorite about what ought to take place in congregational worship. The first three verses of Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Have you, when was the last time you shouted out those words from you to him? In private. Just bless the Lord, O my soul, and you started quoting Psalm 103. It's a, it's a psalm you could memorize because it's full of the goodness of the Lord. I know that some sisters in here have memorized Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And it just goes on from there. And if you memorize it, then you can praise the Lord with it. If you don't know, well, then call it up on your smartphone and read it to him. He doesn't care. Mean it from your heart. He doesn't care if you're reading it or you memorized it. Just give it back to him. Add a few things of your own to it. Everything that the Lord blesses you with, bless the Lord for what His has blessed you with. Amen. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Do you hear those words of uniting, uniting men together to want to worship God together? Let's do it together. Let's make our boast. Magnify him with me. Let's see if we can make him bigger by by ascribing to him all the things that he is and all that he's done. So my number nine is his effect on others. David called on men to worship with him here. David paid for the nation to eat on him. Do you remember when we looked at Abner's funeral when David was going to fast for that whole day until the sunset, it said the whole nation fasted because whatever David did, it pleased the nation to do the same thing. Well, that is, that is an incredible influence on other people. Yeah. Ittai and 600 Gittites followed David and swore by the Lord Jehovah. Right. You've, heard him, you've heard about this from me before because it kind of overwhelms me. 
a Gittite, was a citizen from the city of Gath. Gath was one of the five capital cities of the Philistines. Gath was the hometown of Goliath. 600 men that went to high school with Goliath, and they signed each other's yearbook, followed David. And their leader was Ittai the Gittite. When David was chased out of Jerusalem by Absalom, he stood at the entrance to the city as the people filed out. And when Ittai the Gittite came with his 600, their wives and their children, he stopped him and he said, listen, you're a stranger. You, you don't need to waste your time following me out of this city. Why don't you just go back in and serve Absalom? As the Lord liveth, and as my Lord David liveth, I'm going to be with you in life or in death. Where does that kind of loyalty come from? What is your influence by your godliness, by your virtue, by your courage, by your discipline, by your love of the Lord to influence other people? We want to see David's effect on others and encourage you to it. It wasn't just the Gittites that followed David. Can you give me a couple of other words of segments of Philistia that followed him? Cherethites and Pelethites both followed him. Mercenary secret service that worked between him and the army. They followed David. Nobody liked them. The Israelites didn't like them because they were Philistines that had killed their relatives. The Philistines didn't like them because they were traitors that were now serving David. Perfect for the secret service. They were right next to David and protected him. And whenever anybody heard that the Cherethites or the Pelethites were coming after them, it caused problems with their anatomy and functions. Adonijah thought he would take the kingdom away from Solomon, and a messenger came to him and said, David has just appointed Solomon king, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites are with him. That's all that needed to be said. Get away from Adonijah. It's just beautiful in the Bible. When you look at an org chart, and there is an organization chart of David's army and his secret service on the website under the title, David's Mighty Men. It will show you an org chart as the Bible sets it up of David's 37 mighty men, the three mighties, the three mightiest, Joab, and where the Cherethites, the Pelethites, and the Gittites were located. At the very top, right around David, right where you would want them to be. But how did they follow him is my point. How do you get Philistines to follow the killer of the greatest Philistine? How do you get a Philistines to follow the one who defeated your armies more than anyone else? By his godly virtue, character, mercifulness, his fairness in dealing with men, they could always count on him. He was fair, even, steady, consistent, good, diligent, kind, loving, faithful, prudent, wise, righteous, and had something going on inside him that set him apart from others. Can we aspire to that? Lord, help us aspire to that. Amen. To be different, to influence people. For the Lord's sake, for God's glory. He won worldlings. Do you know how many kings the Bible tells us? Hiram, king of Tyre. Tyre was one of the richest city nations on earth. Go read about the history of Tyre in the Bible of what it says about the wealth of Tyre, but Hiram, the king of Tyre, what is the expression used about him? He was ever a lover of David. How did that happen? For all the reasons that I just mentioned, for the 61 that we're going to go over. When you meet a man that has 61 character traits like we're going to go over, even Hiram, king of Tyre, wanted to be a friend of David. He that loveth pureness of heart. What did we start off with today? Oh, heart. We started off with heart. Right. Was that number one? He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. What king? Pick any king you want. King Saul? Yes. King Hiram of Tyre? Yes. King Achish of Gath? Yeah. You mean the king of Gath? Yes. He considered David like a son. How about the king of Moab? That's where he sent his mom and his dad for him to take care of mom and dad in some pretty nice quarters while the family was being chased by Saul. Lord, give us that kind of influence for your namesake. 
Israel loved David and his name was much set by. He was truly a tree of life to many. They flocked around him. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to emulate him because he was a tree of life. Let's be trees of life so that we can be like David. David loved praise. David is the greatest praise and worship leader in the Bible or ever since. The verses that we just read in Psalm 34 show it. The Psalms are full of praise. They lift the heart and mind in passionate declaration of the greatness and glory of God. We don't have anything else quite like the Psalms. And that's why we're told, even in the New Testament, to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And when you're married, what are you supposed to do according to James chapter 5? Sing psalms. Because they're still written by God's author. Now there's one creeping in on them, and I don't mean Isaac Watts. I mean the son, the son of the Lord's handmaid back there. We want to we praise the Lord because David loved praise. The New Testament reminds us even about the use of those psalms. David delighted in God like no other, but he also loved expressing outwardly to God. It's one thing if you delight in God in your heart, but it's another thing to to want to praise him outwardly by song, by dancing, by poetry, by the praise of the psalms. When you read through them, they should lift you up. I had you read Psalm 18 last night. Does it move you? I cried unto him when I was in distress, and my cry came up into his holy temple. What are the next words? Then the earth shook. Oh, it take, I've, I've said that so many times, but I still love it. Then the earth shook. Because God was wroth. The God of heaven, the Lord Jehovah, was wroth because there were enemies picking on his son David. That little eighth boy of Jesse the Bethlehemite. And so God was wroth, and he rode on the clouds, and he came down in his own chariot, and he rained hailstones and fire upon his enemies and destroyed them because he delighted in me. It it says all that in Psalm 18 and so much more. And so our children love to sing, and I love to sing with you. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and so shall I be saved from mine enemies. We sing a song. Break forth and extol the great ancient of days. David loved to break forth and extol the great ancient of days. Do you love to break forth and extol the great ancient of days? The things that you are going to put in your mouth between now and when you go to bed are some of the best variety of foods the world has ever seen. Do you praise them? The rain, have you praised them yet today? The flowers, you can praise them for everything. You go work out, the sweat, the health, the energy, the strength, the conviction to go work out. Can you praise the Lord for all those things? They're all wonderful. And morphins that are coursing through your body and telling you, I can go 10 more minutes. Praise the Lord for it. Praise the Lord for everything, for his written word in the King James Bible. Amen. Praise the Lord that you know the 40 years of 2 Samuel 15, 7. Oh, yes. You know, some young men told me this morning, the other versions can't handle 2 Samuel 15, 7 because it says 40, so they changed it to 4. It's 40. What is it? Well, we'll wait until we get to that point. And hope that I remember it. We need to get it on our website. It is worth knowing. I'll tell you, that's not nice. <laughs> Second Samuel 15, 7. Let's look at it. Oh, here's chasing a rabbit, but it's all about David. So it counts. Second Samuel 15, 7. If you go look at commentaries, I've been told that you can come up with 16 different ideas on what this verse means. Which verse does it remind you of in the New Testament that has 10 or 12 different explanations and none of them are the truth? 1 Corinthians 15, 29 about baptism for the dead because they don't have a clue what it means. 2 Samuel 15, 7, it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. After 40 years of David's reign? No, David only reigned 40 in total. 
after Absalom's life? No. Absalom was born after David began to reign. He only reigned 40 years, so Absalom couldn't, live, couldn't be 40 years old. And it came to pass after 40 years. Yes, I'm having fun with you. I, I want us to always have fun in the Word of God. It's so wonderful. What is the master of us when we interpret the Bible? Context. Let's back up one verse. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment, so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Stole the hearts of the men of Israel from what? From God? From working? From David. Forty years from killing Goliath, when David won the hearts of all the Israelites, 40 years later, he lost all the hearts of the Israelites to his wicked son, Absalom. Think about it, love it, embrace it. It's the truth. Nothing else fits. The context tells us that's what we go with. Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel after David had won them 40 years earlier. They were gone to be Absalom's. We were on the point number 10 that David loved to praise the Lord and we want to love to praise the Lord as well. Look at Psalm 69 and see that David understood praise quite well. Psalm 69. Can you believe it? They change it to four years because they're trying to make it fit. But they'll tell you, they'll tell you that we, be, we believe in the inspiration of the original autographs. But when the original autographs say 40 and they can't figure it out, they change it to four. Do you remember the age of Ahaziah, 22 or 42? They'll change the Hebrew anytime they need to to try to make it fit their ideas. They do not believe what they say. We believe the King James Bible, and we want 22 and 42 for the same event because it tells us God looked at that same event two different ways. And it explains to us and for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, type in Ahaziah behind a, micro, a magnifying glass on our website because it explains to us why three kings are missing from the kings of Judah in Matthew chapter 1. There is hidden wisdom for those that want to accept 22 and 42. That was off the subject as well. Can I, can I connect David to that? That chapter starts out with the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Amen. Psalm 69, watch David explain his view of praise. Psalm 69, 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Now we can't make God bigger than he is, but we can show him to, big, to be as big as he is by, ex, by exalting him and extolling him and describing him to show how great God is like Matthew did for us from Psalm 29. Verse 30 again, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Let's do that today. Amen. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. Now were there a lot of oxen and bullocks sacrificed in the Old Testament to keep God's commandments? Did God require those sacrifices? Was God pleased with those sacrifices? Yes, yes, and yes. But David had the Holy Spirit and a heart that was after God's own heart that understood praise was better. Do you see that? Better than those animal sacrifices. Though required, though they did please God, we don't want to be average. We don't want mediocrity in the praise of God. We want to elevate it to where God is most pleased. And he was most pleased by verse 30. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bullock that hath horns and hoofs. The humble shall see this and be glad and your heart shall live that seek God. And when we read the Psalms, does it make our hearts live? When we sing the Psalms, does it make our hearts live like we just raised our hearts up and made ourselves glad by singing number 57, which was Hallelujah, Praise Jehovah. Psalm 79. David understood praise, didn't he? Amen. He, just didn't want, he just didn't want to kill an ox. Did, did he have oxen he could have killed? 
Yes, he could have afforded much, but he wanted to praise him with intelligent, understanding praise. When it says in 1 Corinthians 14, let us sing with the Spirit and sing with the understanding, do you know, we've we got to wait to get to it, but do you know where that's first written? Right here by this man. He knew that it was singing with the understanding that counts. Even though he was the greatest musician in the Bible and maybe in the history of the world, as far as inventing musical instruments, writing the lyrics, organizing the orchestras and the choruses and the choirs and the men singers and the women singers and how they were to serve in periods of time and rotations, that man that understood music like that said, we do it with the understanding. We do it skillfully, we do it loudly, but we do it with the understanding. We want to understand the lyrics so that we can praise the name of God with that song. It's not just making noise and having a nice melody. Even in the Old Testament, David understood the New Testament. Why? Because he had the spirit of the New Testament in the Old Testament. Psalm 79. Do you know what family integrated worship is? It's a buzzword that's been around for about 20 years now. We practice family integrated worship. Right. What does that mean? Our families worship together. We don't have Sunday school or junior church. Everyone comes in here and worships together. David liked family integrated worship. Psalm 79 and verse 13. So we thy people and sheep of thy pasture will give thee thanks forever. We will show forth thy praise to all generations. Amen. And that's what we do when we sing praise in here. Is we're showing it to all generations. David loved praise. He emphasized praise. Look at Psalm 33 and verse 1. This is one of the ways that David was after God's own heart and that David delighted in God and God delighted in David. Psalm 33. Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. Praise is comely. It's a beautiful thing for the upright to give God praise. David understood that. And so David pressed that he did it to himself first and showed it to the congregation after that. Look at Psalm 147 on this same point of his emphasis on praise. Psalm 147. This is the word of God. It's not my words. It's God's words. Amen. We're in the divine library of the Most High God of Heaven. And we're learning about the man after his own heart. Psalm 147. Praise ye the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God. For it is pleasant and praise is comely. What more of a way of description do you want about singing praise? Praise ye the Lord, for it is good. It is pleasant. It is comely. It pleases God. It beautifies God and beautifies his saints. And it's pleasant to do it. This is, the, this is David. While we're on praise, let's look at thanksgiving. How long could it... Could we take on thanksgiving if we wanted to from David? He was obsessed with thanksgiving to verbally thank God for his many blessings. Look at Psalm 6. Psalm 6. These aren't in any order. My 61 points that I have so far are not in any order. We just want to look at some of them and, and ask ourselves, how can I change this aspect of life to be more like David for the delight of God and men? And right now we're at Thanksgiving. How can I give thanks more? Give it more often. Give it more passionately to please God and to lift others up around me. David was obsessed with it. To verbally thank God. Psalm 6 and verse 5. For in death there is no remembrance of thee. In the grave, who shall give thee thanks? One of David's gifts, traits, that we'll get to is reasoning in prayer. Moses and he were the most accomplished in reasoning and prayer in the Bible. And here's David reasoning with the Lord about keeping him alive a little longer because who can give thanks to the Lord when they're dead? And don't give me some explanation like we can give thanks in heaven. David's talking about on earth. David believed that there was a time for him to be on earth and serve the Lord, not just go to heaven. David said, I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord 
in the land of the living. Not I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord, but I go ahead and take me right now. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But keep me alive, Lord, so that I can continue to praise you. Hezekiah used this prayer and got 15 more years tacked onto his life. He was 39 years old at the time, and he lived to be 54. Psalm 6 and verse 5 shows us this. Look at Psalm 95. We're talking about thanksgiving. Do you give thanks? Don't just be thankful. That's been expressed many times in our church that we want to actually give thanks. Psalm 95. Thank you, Lord, for giving us David. Thank you, Lord, for telling us so much about him. Thank you, Lord, for the same spirit that he had. Thank you, Lord, for the conviction to want to be like him. Thank you, Lord, for everything you are, everything you've done. Thank you, Lord. Verse 1, O come, let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. And it goes on to describe that in his hand are the deep places of the earth. The strength of the hills is his also. The sea, his hands formed it, and so on. Giving thanks. David was known for it. David obsessed about it. David wanted to be the best at it. Let's be like David. This isn't hard. This isn't rocket science. God is not asking you to invent something to replace the wheel. All God is showing you is the man after my own heart, love to give thanks. Let's love to give thanks with him. David was expressive. You say, well, it's not my temperament. It's not my personality. It's not my comfort zone. Oh, really? So you've got the Holy Spirit in you that is rather expressive, and you can't do it. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And Christ is in heaven at the right hand of God. So how is Paul able to do all things through Christ which strengtheneth him? By the Spirit of Christ that was in Paul. You can, I can. Let's do it. We can be expressive. He danced with all his might. Sometimes you may think that I have pretty poor pulpit manner. You could write me if you wanted to. It's not going to affect me. I hope that we're expressive. I hope in private or in public, we want to be expressive about the Lord. Some of you are very expressive. Some of you are able to pick up a pen and just express yourself wonderfully. You should use that gift. Some of you are able to write. Our brother just showed us that he could express himself and his love for the Lord Jesus Christ and wanting the Lord to delight in the things the Lord has made. Our songwriter was telling the Lord Behold the things that you've done and delight in them. Because look what you've done. And we're going to praise you for it as he got to the fifth verse. It wasn't just for us to delight in him, but for the Lord to delight in those things as well. Because the Lord looked on all that he had made in Genesis chapter 1, and behold, it was very good. And that was the Lord telling us that it was very good. He's so expressive We can be expressive. A week ago, Colin showed us from Psalm 43, and it's in Psalm 42 twice, three times in two psalms. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Now that's pretty expressive when you tell everyone else about your private conversations with yourself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why are you troubled? Hope thou in God. He shall yet be the strength of your countenance and your hope. That's expressive. Psalms reveal talking to himself. We can be expressive. We can share more of ourselves to help others and lift them up in the Lord. Psalms reveal every emotion known to man. There's times where David doesn't think God's ever going to come back. He's wondering how long he's going to be gone. Is he ever going to hear his prayers? Is he he ever going to deliver him from his enemies? He talks about crying so much at night that he makes his bed to swim. Every emotion comes out. His anger against the enemies of God. 
his invect, invection against invectives against Doeg the Edomite and others in some of the Psalms. Every emotion is there because it comes out because he's expressive. God gave us these things, these holes, with the muscle that dangles in there, not just to move food around and swallow it, but to be able to speak, because this thing is called our glory. But if our glory does not express anything, then it's not glorious. Even though you may have glory in your heart, which is hard for us to believe since it never comes out, it should come out. Let us hear it. You say, I'm just not good at talking, but I can put my thoughts down. Put them down on paper, we'll print them. Put them down on a text. Send it out in the morning. Lift someone up. Don't bury them. Don't bury them with your text. But if that's how you want to be expressive, be expressive. Look at the way he was at the funeral buyer of Abner. Look at how he was at the death of Saul. He showed what he was thinking. He showed his feelings. He showed his praise of God. He showed his honor to men. It came out. Zeal. The zeal of David. Did he have zeal? When he appeared in the battlefield and there was Goliath. The armies of Israel lined up on one hillside. The armies of Philistia on the other. Their champion came out and blasphemed the God of Israel for 40 days. And the Israelites did nothing except listen to it. David arrives. He's blaspheming our God. What are you guys doing? And they say to him, well, if you do it, the king's going to give you his daughter. The king's going to make your, t- your father's going to be tax exempt for the rest of his life in Israel. He goes, they go through this long list. And David says, is there not a cause? Someone go, I'll do it. You know, and he was criticized by his older brother, but look at his zeal for the Lord. He couldn't stand being there and hearing bad things about his God. That's what moved him. He wasn't looking for any accomplishment. He wasn't looking for promotion. Afterwards, when he appeared before King Saul, he didn't appeal to that as some great event that should get him some elevated position in Saul's army. All that bothered him was his God was being picked on. And when you hear zeal out of this pulpit, or when you hear zeal from some of our church members about false Bible versions and about false doctrine, about false teachers, and about what goes on at Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, that's because it makes us sick to see the gospel of the apostolic gospel of Jesus Christ being run into the mud. And it should bother you. It bothers men. When Jesus was in the temple and those money changers were clinging away and their cash registers were going as they were exchanging money and selling animals, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. From Psalm 69, it applies well to both men, David and Jesus, though we're told by John in John chapter 2 that it certainly applied to Jesus and the Holy Spirit told the apostles it applied to Jesus in that particular incident. There ought to be zeal. When the Apostle Paul was left by his brethren in the city of Athens and he saw the city of Athens given wholly to idolatry, what does it say? His spirit was stirred within him so that he went down to the marketplace where people would gather together and debate new things and philosophy and religion and said unto them about the true and living God and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So they took him to Mars Hill to their senior most philosophers of Greece where he dealt with them further. It stirred his spirit. That's zeal. Paul says in Galatians chapter 4 that it is good to always be zealously affected in a good thing. It is good. We want that kind of zeal. When he made arrangements with Saul, Saul, I'll go do it. Saul says, listen, you're just a little, you're just a little young whippersnapper. You're not trained in battle. You have no experience. Look, he's a man of war. He's nine feet, nine inches tall. What are you going to do down there? Here, take my armor. Do you know what Saul's armor would have looked like on David? You know, let's say, let's say that David was six foot and Saul was seven two. Do you know what his armor would look like on him? Well, he says, I've never used this junk. I don't need it. I want you to tell me the verb that the Bible uses of how David got to Goliath. He ran to meet him. He ran. Oh, what does that do to you? Zach, come on. 
He ran to meet him. I want to appeal to every man in here. What, what is the giant in your life? That's what I'm getting to. You all have giants. I have giants. Let's run and go get them and cut their heads off. You can. You should. If you want to be like David, you would. He ran to meet him. Hold on. But while running to meet him, he got a better idea. What did he do? He stopped at a brook and picked up extra stones in case he missed. He stopped at a brook and picked up the five stones of Calvinism, they tell us. <laughs> Haven't you ever heard that? He picked up five smooth stones and put them in his shepherd's script, and it's the five... <laughs> we don't spiritualize the Bible into a comic book nonsense like that. He picked up five smooth stones because he was hoping there'd be a family reunion. Amen. He was hoping that Goliath's brothers would come out of the woodwork and he'd get all five of them on one day. That is zeal. That is zeal. Let's give the Lord our very best. Go read about how he punished the Ammonites and see how it fits with the Geneva Convention. He passed them through brick kilns and put them under farm equipment and chopped them in pieces. They deserved every bit of it. His zeal, he wanted the temple to be exceeding magnificent. And if I repeat myself and say exceeding magnificent a few times, I hope you'll forgive me. Because they're wonderful words. When he was told to go get 104 skins, how many did he get? 200. And when he brought them back, did he just dump them in a pile or did he count them out one by one to Saul? The Bible says he counted them out one by one to Saul. That was a pretty sight. When he met a lion and a bear, these are the very excuses Solomon used in the book of Proverbs that men don't go and take on hard tasks. There's a lion in the streets. I'll be eaten. You know, they may, it's cold out. I think I'll just stay here in bed and cuddle. You know, when he saw a lion and a bear and he was thinking, they might hurt a sheep. I'll rip its head off. So he tore it. And he wasn't Samson. He was David. He paid for the temple when he couldn't build it. Since he was paying for it, he wanted it to be costly. Does that make sense to you? Since he was paying for it, it needed to be costly. Because it needed to be a palace for God, not for men. And there we have just a few reminders about the zeal of the Lord. God's words. Do I need to take you to Psalm 119 for you to appreciate that? We're only a few pages away. If you were at Psalm 95, you're nearby, one Psalm 119. I don't know what your Bible looks like. I know what my Oxford Bible looks like. Do you know that in Psalm 119, there is quite a bit of creative work done to give one very special chapter in the Bible? I didn't used to like that when I was a boy. My father wanted Paul and me to read the Bible through every year. And when we got to the day for Psalm 119, we would do a little skim reading because it does have 176 verses in it. But the older I've gotten, the more I love Psalm 119. Amen. You know, I was waiting for you to say amen about Psalm 119. <laughs> I wanted to hear the voice of Zach. Because I know that Zach loves Psalm 119, and you should love it. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and if you look at your Bible, each eight verses should be marked with a Hebrew letter of the alphabet, and you might have the little letter there, and then the name of that letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and then there's eight verses. So 22 times eight is your 176. In the Hebrew, for each of those sections, each of the eight verses starts with that letter. I just want to, I just want to share with you the creativity of Psalm 119. And each verse is a little capsule statement about the Word of God. It's called the statutes of God, the judgments of God, the commandments of God, the precepts of God, the words of God. It's the law of God. It's called different things, but each verse is a standalone statement about the words of God. For you to be like David and for me to be like David, do you know what? We, we have got to love the words of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. David loved the words of God. And remember, this is not hard to remember, Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 are both about the words of God. And they're both written by David. And they're Psalm 1. 
about the man that meditates upon the word of God day and night, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. David loved the words of God, so we should love the words of God to be like David. When you look at Psalm 119, do you have favorites in here? You should. Look at 97 with this exclamation point. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how love I thy law. One of the first verses my father required me to memorize was verse 11, because we had to memorize. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. That's a, you know, verse 9. We're going to come back to that about David understanding purity and holiness. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Another verse that our Father required of us is 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I had to learn that when I was five to seven, eight years old with my brother. Psalm 119 and 113. Verse 113, I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. David couldn't stand reading the internet or reading the newspaper and all the vain thoughts of men and all their foolish ideas. I hate vain thoughts, but thy law do I love. He loved Scripture above any other man. Now let me finish with this point. And it'll be number 15. I made a lot of progress. His sins did not stop him, and are your sins stopping you? His sins did not stop him. God recorded the sins of the man after his own heart for you to have hope. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. There's a lot of patience and comfort of the way God dealt with David. Did you hear those verses I read to you from 1 Kings 15, 3 through 5? That's long after David sinned. God remembered what he did. And all God said was he listed it. But he said, David had a perfect heart with me and he did everything I ever asked him to do except in that matter. God forgave him. He never lost his office of king. He never lost his office of prophet. He continued right on as God's favorite and the standard for all kings to be measured by. Let me give you a little list of the sins that the Bible tells us about David. He sinned by his murderous anger at Nabal and his men. Just because Nabal didn't feed his men, he was going to go kill every male at that house. Abigail called it a sin. David admitted that it was, and he thanked Abigail for stopping him in time. It's all recorded in 1 Samuel 25. He sinned by polygamy. He sinned by polygamy. God made one woman and brought her to Adam. Adam and Eve. One man, one woman. That's marriage in God's sight. And that's all we need. Because Jesus appealed to that in Matthew chapter 19 by quoting that passage of Scripture. And that's all we should need. But Malachi chapter 2 tells us that God had the residue of the spirit. When he pulled that rib out of Adam, he had a pile of human spirit. He could have made Eve and Beth and Karen and Donna and everyone else. But he made Eve. And it says he had the residue of the spirit, but he made one. So that he might seek a godly seed. And did David have problems because of his polygamy? His family was a mess, including the one that was chosen for the throne to replace him, Solomon, because of polygamy. But I'm not through. Deuteronomy 17 tells Moses. Moses tells Israel. When you get a king, boy, Moses was a prophet, wasn't he? After hundreds of years of judges, he already knew that they were going to want a king. When you get a king, this law needs to be written out, and he needs to have his own personal copy and it needs to be read before him all the time. And one of the rules was, kings shall not multiply wives to themselves. They were not to multiply wives. Then it goes on to say, they're not to multiply much gold and silver. They can have a little bit more than the average guy, because after all, they're king. But they're not supposed to multiply much. But they weren't to multiply wives. They were not to be polygamous. David sinned. Against Genesis chapter 2, Malachi chapter 2, and Deuteronomy 17, 17. And had the horrible results in his family. Why didn't God list it in 1 Kings 15? Because God had chosen to overlook it for the hardness of their hearts, like he says through Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19. He forgave it in Abraham. He forgave it in Jacob. He forgave it in David. 
He sinned by moving the Ark of the Covenant contrary to God's law. He included himself with the priests in 1 Chronicles 15 by not following the due order. That's three sins we haven't got to Bathsheba yet. He sinned by murderous anger against Nabal and his men, by polygamy, by moving the Ark of the Covenant the wrong way, though he did it with great zeal and passion for the Lord. He did not follow the due order, and God reigned on that parade by killing Uzzah. He sinned by adultery, an aggravated case of it, because he had a harem of his own. And God made that point by Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12, that David had a harem. And if that harem wasn't big enough for David to give him a sufficient variety, he would have given him any other woman out of Israel to be his wife. That he had already given him all of Saul's chosen wives and concubines to be his. And he would have given him more. But why did he take another man's wife? That's what Nathan said to David. So that's why I call it aggravated adultery. Because he, he sinned because he had a harem and he sinned against Uriah the Hittite by taking his wife and he sinned against God by committing a violation of the seventh commandment. He sinned by murder. Conspiracy to kill one of his friends in battle. Uriah the Hittite is one of the 37 chosen men of David. He wasn't an enemy. He wasn't just one of the thousands of Israel. He was one of the 37 chosen men listed in 2 Samuel 19 and 21. He sinned by collateral damage. By the method that he told Joab to kill Uriah the Hittite, he sinned by the collateral lives that were taken. Do you know what he told Joab? You put Uriah at the front of a group that you put in the hottest battle possible and and get them close to the action and then withdraw and let Uriah get killed. But when getting so close to the action killed others around him. And the Bible explains that when Joab said to the messenger, go back and tell David this. And when David gets down and jumps on your case, that why did you kill men by getting so close to a city wall when you know what happened to Abimelech from the book of Judges? If you know your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. Why did you get so close to the city wall that you just tell David Uriah the Hittite's dead also? Collateral damage collateral lives. He sinned by numbering Israel for proud delight. When you go read those passages carefully, it was for pride. The Lord turned him over to the devil. By comparing 2 Samuel 24.1 and 1 Chronicles 21.1, God turned David over to the devil, just like Jesus Christ turned Peter over to Satan for a short period of time. But I've prayed for thee, and when thou art converted, strengthen your brethren. And David got converted. And David got grievously humbled by that event even though God put him in a difficult situation and never held it against him. God had something against Israel and used David as the means to get at Israel by killing 70,000 men. It says all that. He sinned by number. He sinned as a father and a king by allowing seditious errors of Adonijah, his son. He never questioned his son in some of his conduct when he should have. 1 Kings chapter 1. 1 Kings chapter 1 and verse 6 is the one verse I'll read. His father, meaning Adonijah's father, meaning David, had not displeased him at any time in saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. David had never said to this son that ended up trying to commit treason and sedition, Why hast thou done so? He never did anything to displease this boy. Sort of like Absalom. David had a problem that way with being a father. He sinned by missing Absalom's sedition. The 40 years that I told you about of stealing the hearts of Israel, that doesn't happen overnight. That happened with a conspiracy by Absalom against him. Kings are supposed to diligently search out matters and to be wise about their rule, and David didn't do it. My point with all of that is to point out that God has revealed the sins of David in the Bible. And when David was told about his sins, as soon as he's told, I have sinned against the Lord. When he was told that 70,000 were going to die from that pestilence, he said, let that pestilence fall on me. I did the numbering. But God used David in order to do something against Israel. And David ran to the spot where that angel had his sword drawn sword drawn, and 70,000 men were dropping, and David and Nathan prayed, and that angel sheathed his sword. David ran to that spot, bought. This is how he loved worship. He wasn't going to worship God ever for free. 
he bought that threshing instrument and the oxen and offered a sacrifice right there. And that's where Solomon's temple was built, right there. That was Mount Moriah in the Bible. But David repented, and David would get up and go about his business. When the little child died, David prayed, we'll get to that event, under his trust in God. David knew that God was of a merciful character, that even though God had said, this boy shall surely die, he prayed for seven days and fasted for seven days because he knew that God was still capable of having mercy. But when he was dead, he got up, he washed himself, and he went in and worshipped. This is how David responded to things. He did not grieve or wallow in self-pity. He didn't have emotional meltdowns. He was serving the Lord, and there were things to do, and he was to be productive. So even in his Psalm 51 prayer, he is saying, Lord, if you'll restore, he's praying, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I'll teach transgressors your ways. Now, wait a minute, David. Aren't you the transgressor? Because he's repenting. And the R factor washes it away through the finished work of Jesus Christ and the mercy of our God. Don't grieve about your sins. Get up and do something. You do not please God. You are are bordering on blasphemy when you fuss about your stinking sins. You are calling in question the integrity of God who said, I will forgive you, or the sufficiency of Christ that died on the cross and said, it is finished. Don't do it. Lord, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. I'll teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will be converted unto you. Then shall the offerings of sacrifice and bullets in Jerusalem be pleasant in your sight again. Just heal me. Heal me and lift me up, and I'll give you my best again. That's, that's very different. Oh, I'm just such a sinner. I'm just such a loser. I'm just such a sinner. I'll give God a few years of grief, and maybe that'll help assuage his anger toward me. He already poured out his anger on the Lord Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Would you get over yourself? Why do you think you're so important? He, al- he already bruised his son for you. Enough. What sins of Joseph do we have listed in the Bible? Look what we have about David that I just went through. Great. How can I change this aspect of life to be more like David for the delight of God and men? Forget your past, press forward. Jump up and do something for the Lord. Believe Him. Trust Him. Let's close with Psalm 32, where David mentions God's forgiveness and his confession and how fast it works and how well it works. Psalm 32. I'm going to read five verses, maybe six. Starting at verse 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Notice that it doesn't say this in your version. Some of you have this version. Blessed is he who never sins, and when he sins, grieves about it for the rest of his life to try to make up for it. David wrote, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That means there's a transgression there to forgive, and there's a sin to cover. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. How can you have iniquity and a spirit with no guile? Because you confess the sin, and you still have a spirit that wants to please God, innocently, without feigned humility. Verse 3, when I kept silence before I made confession, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. This is David telling us about the personal dealings with God when you have sinned. It doesn't get any better than this with practical advice for godliness and how to walk with God as a sinner. See, Jesus never had to do this. David had to do it, and you have to do it, I have to do it, so let's just do it the way David did it. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Selah. Stop and think about these first four verses. Now go on. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Think on that. And how verse 5 is better than the first four verses. Now verse 6 for you and me. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Amen and amen.
let's deal with our sins the way David dealt with his. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.